Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. We are joined today by Dr. Mark Helfand, who is the co-founder of the Veterans Affairs Evidence Synthesis Program, or the ESP. The ESP began in 2007 with the mission of analyzing a range of clinical studies to better assess how to deliver treatment and care for conditions ranging from post-traumatic stress disorder to lung cancer. The ESP's ultimate goal has been to improve long-term outcomes for a range of physical and mental health conditions, with a particular focus on those commonly experienced by American veterans. Since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, the ESP has taken a forefront role in evaluating the efficacy of various COVID-19 treatment methods and emergency care practices, and have helped share these with the broader American medical community as a whole. Dr. Helfand, welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start out with a general background question for our audience, and that is, when was the ESP founded and what is its core mission? So the, the, the official founding of the ESP program, which is the Evidence-Based Synthesis Program, was in 2007. But in 2005, we did the Evidence Synthesis Pilot, which um, arose because VA leadership in the early 2000s became aware the VA needed clinicians and leaders in the VA needed high quality, timely, veteran-focused evidence reviews. And all the major producers of those, like Cochrane and like the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, they did great work, but they weren't focused on the VA. So they started a pilot in 2005. I was uh, one of the two investigators. The other was Paul Shakel in Southern California VA. And um, both of us were EPC directors for HRQ. We were evidence-based practice center directors outside the VA. And we were VA physicians. And the pilot was a great success. So in 2007, they expanded the program to four centers instead of two. All four directors were internationally recognized leaders in evidence-based medicine. So we had a great head start. And our mission was to bring the conscientious, explicit, and judicious use of, of evidence to make decisions about the care of veterans and to improve veteran health care and well-being and to improve decision-making at all levels, clinical as well as um, policy and leadership. Absolutely. And it sounds like you all have done an impressive scope of work just within the past nearly 15 years alone. And it also sounds like that involves a considerable amount of collaboration from your description with other parts of VA that have a serious input in the clinical process. So I'm kind of wondering, what departments and offices within VHA regularly contribute or help with ESP's uh, research and output? Yeah, well, I'm, I, 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 looking back, our initial partners, and we were always a partnered program. We don't make up like, let's study this and that. We always respond to health system needs. And the first ones were from the nursing service and the office of the deputy undersecretary for health quality and safety. That's in 2005. And uh, we still work with them. And the office of nursing services is currently working with us on some staffing in nursing home topics specialty care services over the years, this is like, you know, cardiology and surgery and so on, has been a great partner. They've had, I think, 46 requests that we've fulfilled over the years for evidence reviews. And um, now, more recently, we get many assignments directly on patient safety and from the Office of Undersecretary of Health for Mental Health Services and uh, the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. 
So I, I think it seems to be expanding, but you know, people who have come to us over the years keep coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like these these collaborative relationships have really built uh, and continue to to build. And you, you'd mentioned uh, mental health. And from my understanding, in terms of a lot of the work that's happening across VHA as a whole, especially in terms of caring for veterans' long-term health and outcomes, mental health has been a really big priority, clearly. What have been uh, some of uh, the ESP's primary research areas uh, in terms of veterans' health and long-term outcomes? What would you say are like the really big kind of like healthcare area priorities? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there are uh, steady priorities over the years, mental health being one. But at any particular time, we engage with the most important and difficult problems of that time. And so I would look at it as kind of this background where, for instance, years ago, uh, polytrauma was such an important issue. We had veterans who had brain injury plus other injuries. How do you rehabilitate them in the light of their pain and their brain injury and so on. We did a lot of work on that at the time, a lot on traumatic brain injury, work on Gulf War veterans and on the values of various services like geriatrics and so on to, to the VA. But as you mentioned, you know, mental health has been a constant and increasing really priority. We have done work and prevention and risk factors and management of suicide risk since 2008. And as new modalities, new treatments come along, we are almost always involved looking at, at you know, how effective they are, who they work for best, who they don't work for, and so on. We've looked at many treatments for PTSD. I think you, you know that you know, over the years, there's been increasing demand from veterans for, for essentially alternative and other kinds of modalities, not only for PTSD, for opioid use, you know, yoga and acupuncture, mindfulness, all these kind of therapies that have, have been um, raised. And the ESP needs help not only in evaluating do they work and who they work for, but also how do we plan the services? If we're going to provide acupuncture for certain conditions across VA, how many staff do we need? How do we staff it? How do we prioritize, you know, those those services? And so, um, so we've done a lot of work in PTSD, and it and, and it continues. And I just want to say, you know, our staff here includes frontline clinicians. As I mentioned, we see patients. We don't just. It's not just an academic or hypothetical exercise for us. And and we, one of our core staff is an expert in addiction medicine. And so when it comes to things like both the effectiveness of addiction treatments and the provision of those services, you know, we don't come to it as strangers. We come to it as people who actually understand how it, how it plays out in, in, in real healthcare. So those are some of the highlights of, of kind of our over, over time. We have, we respond to whatever is new, obviously COVID, we'll probably get to that and things like it, um, things, things that are emergent, but we also have a consistent body of work on, you know, trying to find what works best for PTSD and for other mental health conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd imagine that that component of, you know, having a lot of frontline clinicians on staff who regularly see and treat patients for both, you know, physical and behavioral health concerns is really vital because it sounds like the ESP's mission is to obviously, you know, impact real life outcomes, you know, the 
the health and quality of life of veterans. And it looks like a lot of those broader efforts across VA have really paid off because for my recollection, uh, the recent report on suicide prevention came out and VA recorded the first annual decrease in veteran suicides in, I think, nearly 15 years in 2019. And it sounds like, you know, those kind of combined efforts seem to have really, again, paid off in terms of quality of life and, and assisting veterans who are in, you know, very difficult places in terms of, say, mental health or, or PTSD recovery. And that kind of brings me to my next question, because it sounds like a lot of these implications are obviously vital for VA care and for caring for veterans, but it also sounds like their implications for healthcare and for, you know, patient outcomes obviously have, have kind of universal ramifications. So I'm wondering if you're able to uh, discuss this a bit. What organizations outside of uh, VA does ESP uh, regularly partner and share research with? Yeah, so this this goes back to our origins, if I can sort of return to the history a little bit. You know, we all hear about evidence-based medicine, and a, a lot of the basis of the Cochrane collaboration, for instance, now called Cochrane, started in 1993. And in 1998, the federal government got involved in a big way through the uh, HHS, through the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality Evidence-Based Practice Center Program, which started, I think, in 1998. And, and they did a lot of work in those programs, especially the AHRQ program, that's relevant to veterans. Uh, we pioneered work on comparative effectiveness in that program and on health system quality and how to deliver health services and other areas of interest to the VA. And now in the last 15 years, the VA program, the ESP, has kind of returned the favor. Now we do work that the rest of the field and the rest of the world wants to hear about. And, and, and I, I guess one basis for that is that Many of us in this program in the ESP also hold leadership roles in the other organizations, such as AHRQ and, and Cochrane, and in professional organizations, because we, we do have clinical affiliations. So just to give you one example, I think you know a lot of our, our reviews are used by professional societies in their work to make clinical guidelines and clinical points. One, uh, for instance, American College of Physicians, which is one of the biggest uh, specialty societies um, for uh, internal medicine and its specialties, often use our reviews. They, they used it to develop guidance for hospital management of diabetes, one of our reports, and probably a half dozen others over the years. So we, we, we our, our work is used through specialty societies, through other agencies, and, and, in, and in the private sector. And I'd also say, you know, we publish in journals and our work is very highly cited, as we always have to say at some point. So, uh, yeah, we are, we are definitely, I think, in, in, the, in the mix as far as where people look for, for independent, unbiased, strong evidence reviews that have both VA and non-VA implications. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always been really impressive to see how comprehensive VA has been in sharing, you know, these, you know, various discoveries from its more forward-looking organizations with, you know, the rest of the American healthcare community as a whole. You know, some of the most promising research, you know, in terms of medical science and treatment sounds like it's coming directly from VA. And I kind of want to bring to to another question. You'd mentioned again, we've been talking about, you know, how much, you know, development has happened over the past 15 years, how much, you know, has accomplished within both uh, VHA as a whole and within ESP. And that time frame, the past, you know, again, 15 or so years has also seen 
a lot of uh, changes, uh, both broadly, uh, you know, across the United States, but also within VA relating to health IT in the application of new technology, let's say, especially data sharing, uh, complex analytics, and let's say also health records modernization. And how have the adoption of those technologies really helped facilitate ESB's research specifically? Yeah, so I, I would I would preface my answer by saying that you know we an evidence review and uh, uh, something that tells you what do we know and what do we know do not know from scientific research, I think is necessary, but not sufficient to make good decisions. You also want to look at your own data, what's going on in your health system, and you want to look at even models and other tools, and you also want to hear what veterans have to say. And so it's one of these components. And so in the time since the ESP started, the VA has you know, greatly improved its data resources and data sharing capacity. And so now we have, uh, we were always aware of the, of the potential value of merging what we do in an evidence review of the literature with real-time health system data for decision-making. We are starting to be able to realize that because of the improvements in the data in the IT and generally in the VA. And so while we started to pilot this, you know, essentially doing a systematic review on one hand, and then alongside it, an analysis of VA data, now we're doing that on several projects, and our goal is to do it on every project. And it's a very exciting area. Let me just give you a couple of uh, kind of classic examples. Let's suppose we do a review on robotic surgery for common things like uh, appendicitis and so on. You, you see in the literature, for instance, that you know rates of complications for a particular surgery, gallbladder surgery, let's say, out in these studies that weren't done in the VA might be 3% with robotic and 3% with conventional laparoscopic surgery, not a big difference. But without looking at VA data, we don't know if it's relevant to us. It could be that our complication rates are already down to 1% for conventional. And so that comparison wouldn't mean very much. So a lot of these systematic reviews of the literature have to be complemented by a look at our own data to see where we stand with respect to this. We, we have seen instances where there are very effective measures to improve the quality of care out in the community but they are doing things that we've already been doing in the VA, and we wouldn't want to adopt them because we already have them. And so we need to check, are our, our, our outcomes comparable to what we're seeing in the literature review? Because we may have gotten to the same place a different way. So that's one area where we, we, we often see a need, an obvious need for that. Another is when we have a new technology that is an alternative to others. For instance, if you have heart disease, you might use a a nuclear medicine test to see if there's coronary disease, or you might use a CT angiogram to see if there's coronary disease. And so we, we often want to look at our data in the VA to see how much of this do we use and what centers use it, and what's the characteristic of VAs that use that, why are they using it, what are they, what are they depending on it for, to put the, the published literature that we review in context. So the, this is something that we, we always wanted to do. We really couldn't do data alongside reviews until the data systems rose to a level to make it possible. And if I could just say two more things, on the same level, we have been increasingly using, or the VA is increasingly using our reviews 
to inform how they look at things with their original data, to get ideas from us about what the gaps are in the evidence that they ought to address with an original study or an original uh, look at the data. So it's a two-way street. We don't just use studies. We help get, give them the specifics of what to look at in those studies. So on the other technology side, not the VA, but in within our field, we always have a challenge of getting things out fast, right? Everybody wants information right away. And it takes a long time to search all this literature and then to sift through it and find the right studies. So we've been working with machine learning techniques to do that and with other innovations to get those steps to be faster. And I wanna point out one innovation because I don't think there's anything like it. Now, it's not an ESP thing, but it shows our partnerships with other programs, with HRQ and others. And this is the PTSD trial standardized data repository. So for PTSD, there's tons of randomized trials. And if somebody says, can you, can you review the literature on X? You know, we don't want to take the time, right, to spend months finding those studies and then abstracting those studies, pulling data out of them for our review. And so what one investigator who has worked with the ESP in the past, what she did, Maya O'Neill, is she went and through AHRQ with funding from the VA, developed a single updatable repository of data from PTSD treatment studies that can be used for clinical, for research and policy stakeholders. So that if somebody said tomorrow, what can you do a systematic review of PTSD treatment, of this PTSD treatment? All of those original steps would be collapsed into just looking at this database and pulling the data and then focusing on what we do best, which is critically appraising and synthesizing. And so that, that database is maintained in the VA by the VA's National Center for PTSD. So this is an example of where IT innovation within the pro, within the systematic review community is being is being done in addition to the IT innovation across the health system. Yeah, that's really impressive and it sounds like as a general overview this level of IT modernization has really helped, you know, the ESP focus, you know, more closely on what you do best, you know, kind of really really helped the lift there in a lot of ways. And you'd of course mentioned this uh, earlier and and we would inevitably get to this this topic, you know, we are we're clearly in the midst of a, a public health, you know, crisis or, or a challenge the likes of which, you know, we arguably haven't seen in, you know, a century or greater. And it's clearly, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has put incredible strain on U.S. healthcare and sort of health management systems across the country. And I'm wondering that in terms of, of the ESP and the work you've done there, how has ESP helped support VA's COVID-19 response, both in terms of clinical care and decision making and also advancing understanding of the virus itself? Yeah, well, last March or whenever the pandemic started, I think we we all went through a learning curve, right? Our whole society, maybe. First, there was just this desperate need for information. And then we learned, actually, what we need is good information, not just any information. <laughs> and there has to be some intermediary there when information comes out that tells you at least these these characteristics of this information make me trusted or not trusted, which is kind of the core of what we do. We critically appraise scientific studies to assess, are they really valid and relevant? And so early on, as you'd expect, the leadership of the VA, you know, needed to deal with this avalanche of information and help sort out what can we use and what is misleading. 
And so we were very, we produced ultra rapid reviews where a new paper would come out, it'd be in the press everywhere, but we would critically appraise it. It would take two or three days and tell leadership in the VA what we, you know, what, how we assessed it. And so um, I, I wanted to say we were in a great position to help. First of all, we had relationships with these leaders that were ongoing, which we talked about a little before. And in fact, when we got started, our official start in 2005 for the pilot, Joe Francis, who was very involved in uh, VA's COVID response in the last year, was the person who gave us the green light to go in 2005. So we had longstanding relationships with leaders. And we'd also been doing rapid reviews in the VA for five or 10 years, we were always a relatively fast program compared to other, how long it took to do a review compared to others. Um, but in the, the last five years, we got a lot of practice doing rapid reviews for VA. And we were familiar with the processes of keeping reviews up to date, including the relatively new idea of living reviews, which are kept up to date very frequently. And so all of that turned out to be critical for the COVID-19 response in the evidence synthesis community, and we kind of had it ready to go. Some of our early work on you know, hydrogen peroxide to sterilize N95 masks, risk of transmitting COVID-19 during nebulizer treatments, these were real-time problems with literature coming out every day. And you had a, 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 a sort of a profession of evidence review that was used to measuring things in years, not days. But we adapted so that we could at least measure, you know, at least uh, multiples of seven days anyway. <laughs> so, you know, three weeks, four weeks. And so right now we're still doing a lot of COVID work. We're more focused on the long-term effects of, co of COVID-related illnesses for the VA, implications for, you know, chronic disease, for rehabilitation. The system level impacts on mental health is a very big focus um, for us. And um, we also have been working with our colleagues across the world, really, to try to get the systematic review community's response to be more coordinated. Every time we got asked a question, remdesivir, for instance, when it first emerged as a treatment, so did five other or 10 other of our colleagues outside the VA. So looking at this, we worked in some networks with people, but also we set up the website COVID19reviews.org, and our purpose was pretty narrow to start with. It was, hey, if somebody's already done this review and they've done a great job, why would we do this? We'll just make it available to VA leadership. And right now, that, that is one of the go-to databases to know what has been you know, uh, what evidence-based material is there on each, on every COVID question? There's thousands of reviews in there now. And so um, those are kind of the, uh, you know, the highlights, but uh, we added a couple other things. The guidance from NIH, from CDC, from other organizations was changing all the time. This is last year, early on. And we started to monitor the guidance so that the VA would know what changes were made in the guidelines from all the major organizations. It just happens. It's not by accident. I shouldn't say it just happens. Not by accident. Most of the leaders of the ESP are also leaders in the area of 
evidence-based guidelines. So we really know how to review, critique, and, and, and communicate about what the guidance is. And we, have, we can go the next step and say what the basis for the change in the guidance is and whether or not it seems very valid or speculative. So that was something that the VA leadership relied on for you know, much of last year is you know, they, not only can't you monitor the literature yourself, you can't even monitor what the guidance is from the major guidance organizations, including VA. And so, so, so we did adapt to help in, in that realm too. And this is a very ongoing activity. We still, uh, I'd say probably 50% of our workload is still COVID related now. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of that work was pretty instrumental for, for shaping you know, and guiding the public health response. I thought it was particularly interesting that you are not merely sort of monitoring various treatments and efficacies, you know, ranging from sanitation to, to triage, but to also monitoring the, the changing you know, risk uh, you know, advisories from and you know, guidelines from you know, HHS and other parts of the government kind of playing a, uh, an overseeing role in, in really looking those uh, over. So again, uh, before we uh, wrap up, Dr. Helfen, I want to ask, is there anything you, know, you would like to share about ESV or anything else our, our audience should know about your work, especially potentially your projects going forward? Well, I think in, 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 in two things, it's sort of, first of all, it is a collaboration across the centers, in, in, uh, one in North Carolina, one in Minnesota and one in Southern California, as well as us, the coordinating center here. So I, I really am trying to represent the whole program, not just what we do here in Portland. Second, you know, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, we all wanna do what we can, the best we can for veterans. We wanna get the best treatments, the best tests, the best organization of services. But just as I was saying about COVID, not everything that you hear and not everything that people say about effectiveness or safety of treatments is true. And some of it has a strong basis in science and some doesn't. We don't say just stick with those that are proven. You know, we don't want to be, we, VA, nobody wants to be the last person on the block to adopt something, you know, after five years or 10 years, because that's when the absolute proof came in. We don't want to be the latest, the, the last to do anything. We recognize that. I think VA leadership recognizes that. But we also don't want to just have, you know, take all comers, anything that anyone ever said might help, and do it in practice to the veterans because it can be harmful if it's unproven, because it might not work, because those resources and their time and their health could have been better handled some other way. So we fit in to a concept of using the best evidence available in decision-making, but not having it be the only factor, having other factors, including what veterans say, what looks like it's a strong basis for future proof versus a, a weak basis, a low expectation of future proof, and what's feasible and, and um, deliverable on, on a patient basis instead of just in some hypothetical all of that's very complicated, and it's not something that the VA, that the ESP can do by itself. But my my view would be, you can't do it at all unless you have the evidence synthesis component of it. And you put all the other components together, you have an effective learning health system. So it's necessary, as I said, but not sufficient. But we're very lucky, I think, in the VA to have such a program for 15 years. I think other health systems 
really haven't been able to, to, to do what the VA's done in this area so far. Yeah, it sounds like it's really been a vital part, a real, you know, become a serious backbone of, of advancing VA's care. And it's, you know, been really impressive to see what you've done for the past 15 years. And I'm sure it'll continue to be doing, you know, really momentous work going forward. So again, uh, Dr. Helfen, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Great to have you on the program. Take care. You too. Bye. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris and Adam Patterson. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.